13, if you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. Now, while you're turning there, I need to tell you this, if you didn't know this already, the, the word gospel, I said turn to Mark's gospel, uh, the word gospel actually means the good news. That's what it means. It means the good news of Jesus Christ, in this case, that Mark is bringing forward, that Mark recorded. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels, the four accounts of Jesus from, from different directions. Uh, uh, there, there's a wonderful unity to it all. Some add things that others don't, but the gospels mean the good news, specifically the good news of Jesus Christ. But as I did last week, <laughs> some bad news <laughs> before I bring the good news. The bad news is, and I brought this in detail last week, but the bad news is that extensive studies reveal the percentage of people in our nation whose faith in Jesus Christ is central to their lives is in decline. That's some bad news. While the percentage of persons who have really no faith in Christ, who perhaps call themselves Christian, but Jesus is not central to their lives, and it's not really lived out in any way, and add to that number those who have no faith in Christ or have placed their faith someplace else, that number is in rapid increase and incline in our nation. These are disturbing things. This is bothersome when we hear some of those statistics that I gave at length this last. It's not good news. It's not good news. I remember probably about 10 years ago, I was listening to someone speak, and they talked about how we are entering, uh, they said, again, some years ago, they said, we are entering what they call the post-Christian era in America. And I remember when I heard that, I, saw, I, I thought, that is so wrong. It bothered me. I did not like it. Because to think of us after the, 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 the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is no longer having the influence that it did, I did not want to hear that. And yet the numbers have indicated that that is in fact true. I, I, I don't like to admit that. I don't even like to declare it. But we have a challenge before us, and that is in our nation. This is not even to talk about other places and other parts of the world. But in our nation, we have some enormous challenges. There are people, there are so many people who are lost. You see, I don't get hung up so much on the percentages. What bothers me is that every number represents a person. That there are millions of people in our nation who right now are lost and who are headed for hell. That's the hard reality. Who are going into a Christless eternity if we don't do something about it. I say these things again, not, not to create an us versus them mentality because it's never good. Say it again, it's never good for 
the believer in Christ to view the unbeliever in Christ as the enemy. Hear me on this. We have but one enemy. His name is Satan. So don't get into this us versus them. We're outnumbered. Look, there's so many of them and we, we, we have to turn our anger to them. Never. These things, however, should unsettle us and remind us that we, the church, the body of Christ, must get serious about the mission to which God has called us. And so for these weeks, beginning last week, today, and continuing on for several more, we're talking about getting serious in certain ways. Last week, I shared about getting serious about the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ, that cross that you see here hanging in this sanctuary, perhaps around your neck, or maybe you have a cross in your home. You're certainly familiar with it. It's an empty cross because it not only signifies Jesus' death, but his resurrection. Glory to God. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And there's power in the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the symbol above all other symbols. It is the, the significance and the power of the cross that saves people. It's because of the cross that you and I are forgiven. Hallelujah. All of those things that we did, all of those things are forgiven because of the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross. We are set free. We have eternal life in Jesus Christ. We have eternity to look forward to. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. And we need to get serious about this. We need to get serious about the cross. So, so not only to be forgiven, but also to forgive. And so when I hear People who claim faith in Jesus Christ saying that they have not yet forgiven somebody for what they did. I say, oh, we need to get serious about the cross. Because the power of the cross is bigger than anything that anyone has ever done to us. Today, this morning, I'm sharing from the gospel, from the good news, how we need to get serious about our walk with Christ. This is sequential. First of all, we talk about the, the, how we need to be serious about the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, this morning about our walk with Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 1, you have it there before you. Jesus was just beginning his public ministry. He's about 30 years old. We know very little of what happened to him prior to this. Everything that we're supposed to know is recorded in Scripture, but there's not a great deal. He's beginning his public ministry. Just before this, it says that Jesus had been baptized, and then he was led into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. And then the Bible tells us in another gospel that Jesus returned from the wilderness, having been tempted by Satan. He returned from the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I want you to understand the significance of that. Jesus went through a time of testing an intense trial that really no words could fully describe, but he came out of that time in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me just say this. When God leads us into trying and difficult times, he has a purpose for it. In part, he wants to bring us out of that time, not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the reasons why he leads us into challenging times. Jesus has just come out of the wilderness. He's operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, unlike he's ever operated before. 
And here in Mark 1, he begins choosing his disciples. Would you do this with, would you say the word with me, disciples? Say it again, disciples. Jesus began calling his disciples. Now, uh, a, a, a definition is in order here. In the Jewish tradition, a disciple was a close follower and a student under a teacher or in their wording, a rabbi. Uh, again, a, a disciple, and there were many, there were not just disciples of Jesus, there were disciples that followed other people, other Jewish teachers. But again, a disciple was a close follower and a student who was under a teacher. There was also a very significant relational element to discipleship, because a disciple not only walked with, but also learned from and patterned their life after the person they followed. This was something that had been going on for centuries in the Jewish tradition. It would continue on after that. To some degree, it still happens today as people in the Jewish tradition have disciples, people that they lead. And this is very important. The disciple not only learned, but also perpetuated or carried forward to others what they learned. That's very important. A disciple was not only the recipient of learning, but a disciple then went on and discipled other people, passed that on, perpetuated whatever teaching the, uh, the rabbi had. So again, just to recap, a disciple was a learner, a disciple became like their teacher, emulated them, and a disciple carried it forward to others. So that's the definition of a disciple. It's very important that we spend just a moment on that. Now Mark chapter 1, verse 16 says this, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Again, a lot of explanation this morning. Uh, in that part of the world, fish was probably the major meat staple. More than any other flesh, more than any other meat, uh, fish was it. And so these, these fishermen, they had a very important role in that society. Uh, the Sea of Galilee, which really is a bit of a misnomer. It wasn't a sea like as in a salt a salt water a body of water, but rather it's a large inland lake. And the Sea of Galilee was a major source of fishing for this Galilean region. So these fishermen, that's what it says there in verse 16, these fishermen filled this important role in society. It, but Jesus had other plans. Look at verse 17. It says, Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Very simple. Jesus' invitation was only 11 words long, at least in this translation. But in it, Jesus said something very unusual. Again, he said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, you may think the unusual thing is at the end of the sentence, but it's actually at the very beginning. Jesus said, follow me. Now, here's why this is significant. Because when Jesus said, follow me, here's this rabbi, he's just coming on the scene. 
very few people, perhaps other than his mother, know, and, and perhaps John the Baptist, know who Jesus really is. And, and even they don't know the whole scope of it. To many of these people, he's just another rabbi, another teacher. But Jesus said this very unusual thing, and he said, follow me. It's unusual because uh, most rabbis, in fact, very few, or if any other rabbis, would ever say such a thing. A rabbi at that time, and before, and after, would say this. They would say, um, follow my teaching, or, or, or even go so far as to say, follow my example. But Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. Follow me, he said. Now that must have raised some eyebrows when they heard that because a rabbi wouldn't usually say, follow me. You see, Jesus had a perspective, of course, that no one else did. Jesus knew who he was and Jesus knew what he was about. Jesus was not saying, follow a teaching. Jesus was not saying, follow an opinion. Jesus was not even saying, follow my direction. Jesus said, follow me. Why? Because Jesus was and is the Son of God. Because Jesus was and is the Savior of the world. So when Jesus said, follow me, it must have raised some eyebrows. But we understand, in retrospect, we understand better what Jesus said. Jesus said, follow me. Sometime later, sometime later, uh, Jesus said this. And John, you, you, you perhaps are familiar with this statement. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He was essentially saying the same thing. Jesus didn't say, I am a way, or I am a truth or I am a way to life. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the, I am, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. If you want to get to the Father, you must come through me. That's a powerful statement. But he made the statement essentially right here when Jesus said, not follow my teaching, follow me. And they did. They did. 11 words. He called them. Again, this line here in verse 16, it says they were fishermen. They were fishermen. You see it right there at the end. But in following Jesus, verse 17 says they were to become fishers of men. Verse 16, they were fishermen. Verse 17, they became or would become fishers of men. What does that mean? It means that Jesus would change them from what they were into what they would become. I like that. They were fishermen, but now they would become fishers of men. There was this implied, very strong implied statement of you are going to change from what you were into what you're going to become. I want you to hear me on this. Let me pause in the narrative. A key element of becoming very serious about our walk with Jesus Christ is to understand that Jesus changes us from one thing into another thing. There is a transformation that is involved when people come to Jesus Christ. 
If we really believe and if we're really serious about the power of the cross, then we understand that when we come to Jesus, we don't just change opinions. We don't just change attitudes. We just don't have a slight course correction, but rather there is this deep, fundamental, essential transformation that begins when we begin to follow Christ. He changes us from one thing into another. It begins in our heart, it begins in our minds, but then it goes out and it radiates from there and it affects every part of us. Recently, just this last week, Joni and I had dinner with some friends and and as I always like to do, I always like to learn about their story, right? I just love to hear people's stories. Uh, did so just a little while ago in, uh, in Connecting Point. Oh, it was so much fun listening to these people. And I said, how did you come to, to faith in Jesus Christ? And they began to tell, me this, tell us the story, powerful story. They shared how after surrendering their lives to Christ, spiritual strongholds were broken. Hallelujah. The things that they did, the friends that they chose, what they valued also began to change. It wasn't just, oh, Jesus is in my heart and now I'm the same tomorrow as I was yesterday. But everything began to change. In walking with Jesus Christ, the change within them was followed by changes around them. Let me say that again. When they began following Jesus Christ, the changes within them were followed by the changes around them. That's how it's supposed to be. Many of you could say the same. I know many of your stories. I've heard many of your stories. Many of you, I've still yet to hear them and I look forward to it. But many of you could say the same. You can remember how you were. Now, you may not have been a fisher, uh, a fisher, a fisherman or a fisherwoman. Is that how you, you? You may not have been a fisher of fish. doesn't matter. But, but you were something, and now Jesus has transformed you and is in the process of transforming you into something else. You were this, but now you're this. You were that, but now you're this. You, you, you experienced this, but now God has transformed you. This is what he does. Why? Because Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Transformation is a part of the deal. When we get very serious about discipleship, we understand, Jesus, you're going to change me from what I am into what I'm going to be. I don't like it. It bothers me, in fact, when people say, you know, I'm just kind of settled in life and this is where I am and this is how I'm going to be and I'm just not going to change from here. And I say, wait a minute, God is not done with you yet. If you're still breathing, if you can still fog a mirror, God has a purpose for you. He wants to change you. And he wants to use you. We'll get to that here in a moment. Look at verse uh, uh, 18. Um, and it says, And immediately they left their nets and followed him. It's very brief. Let me read it again. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. It was an immediate thing. It was, it was right now. They didn't deliberate. They didn't discuss it. They, they just, they did it. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, I want you to notice here, it says they left something. They left, in this case, they left their nets. It's not there by accident. They left their nets and they followed him. They left something. In verse 19, look at verse 19, two more disciples were called. Going on a little further, Jesus saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. So you have two more brothers, two more fishermen. Verse 20, he called them, 
And they left, there's that word again, they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed Jesus. For a moment, in your minds, go back to that scene. Jesus is going along. You have here these two brothers, James and John, along with, in the boat, along with a, a, their father, his name was Zebedee, and some hired men. It's just another day. They have been fishing, uh, and they now are mending their nets. It's very important to make sure that the nets were good, otherwise all the fish are going to get away. And so they're sitting there. A very important part of what fishermen did was mending nets. And they're sitting there. There's work to do because there's fish yet to catch. Jesus comes along, and again with, I'm sure, very few words, calls these people. James and John get up out of their boat. They left their father and the hired men, and they go and they follow Jesus. I've often wondered what the father and hired men thought as they saw them leave. I've often wondered that. This is a father, Zebedee. He's with his, he's with his, uh, his sons. I, I, I'm maybe reading too much into this, but I don't know how old he is. These are adults. He's probably thinking, you know, this is a good deal. I'm passing this on to my sons. They're going to take, as far as all we know, they may have gone back 10 generations as fishermen in this area. It's what we do. It's who we are. It's our identity. But now they leave their boat. They leave all these nets that need to be mended, and they go off and they follow Jesus. I wonder what that father thought. I think the hired men were like, hey, the sons are gone. Now we got a chance. I think that's what they were thinking. They left something, or in this case, someone. In the next chapter, Jesus called a tax collector named Matthew to be a disciple. He called him with just two words. It goes from 11 to 2. And in following Jesus, the Bible tells us that Matthew left his former life behind. He had been a tax collector, but he left all of that behind. So it was with all of Jesus' disciples. As they took their walk with Christ seriously, as they followed his invitation, they did have a choice. It comes across as a command, but they still had a choice. As they took their walk with Christ seriously, I want you to see this, they left something or someone behind Again, pausing in the narrative. What did you leave behind when you said, I have decided to follow Jesus? Don't shout it out, just in your mind. What did you leave behind? What things in following Jesus had to be left behind? In some cases, what persons had to be left behind as you began to follow Jesus. You see, what's not reflected here, what's not recorded rather here, is the pain that they had to experience. As they're walking away, they, they know that their life is going to change. They have no idea how much it's going to change, but life has just changed because we left dad and hired men to, to do this. They left some, someone behind. Matthew, when he left that tax booth, he, he knows that his future is very uncertain now because he had a good thing going financially, but now he's going to be 
considered a pariah, a, 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 an outcast, because he had collaborated with the, the Romans. And, and now he, he, was not, he was hated before, but now he's hated, still hated, but he has no income. See, he, they left something. They left someone. I'm going to go so far as to say this. If we, if we did not leave something behind that was a part of our old life, if we did not leave something behind, but everything that we did, everything that we had back then, we still have today, I question if we're really taking our discipleship seriously. We don't like to hear that because we think that that we just gain when we, when we accept Jesus Christ, and we do. And for everything that we give up, for everything that we lay aside, we receive so much more. But let me tell you, I have to, I have to be straight with you. In following Jesus Christ seriously, in becoming serious in our walk with Him, it means that we're going to leave some things behind us. We're not going to do that anymore. What's bothersome is that some people think I can have it all. Those things that were part of my life before Christ, I can drag into my life right now. And I'm saying, no, there's some things that are, of, that, that are, that are ungodly that need to be left in the past. And in, in getting serious about our relationship with Jesus Christ, we need to understand there's some things that I used to do. Some things that I used to say, some things that I used to uh, uh, smoke, some things that I used to drink, some things that I used to watch, some things that I used to look at, some things that I used to say to other people, the way that I treated other people, that has to be left behind because I'm now a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm leaving that behind me. And if our life before Christ is largely the same in our life after Christ, then I question if we're really taking our walk with Christ seriously. There needs to be a change. Some things need to be left back there. Again, last week we looked at getting serious about the cross, how Jesus' death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead provided so much, including the forgiveness of sins and the power to forgive others. Hallelujah. If you surrendered your life to Christ, you were saved. It may have been beside a bed someplace or, or maybe in a church or a Sunday school class or a backyard uh, Bible class or, or a VBS or it may have been in someone's living room. It, 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 it doesn't matter so much where, but when you surrendered your life to Christ, you began to be his disciple and you began to walk with him. And I'm saying we need to take this walk seriously. You're on a new lifelong journey. One of the reasons, I think, that we see this decline in people who are truly living and walking the Christian life and why we're seeing an increase in people who just say, Faith in Christ doesn't mean anything to me. One of the reasons why we're doing it is because we're satisfied with being a convert, but we don't really want to be a disciple. We want to pray the prayer, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sins, good, I'm on my way to heaven. But we fail in walking with Jesus Christ. There is a definite beginning, hallelujah. 
We come to Christ. He forgives our sins. He begins that, begins that transformation within us, but it continues from that point through the rest of our lives. Do not be content with simply being a convert. Be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're on a new lifelong journey. In John chapter 13, Jesus said this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus said this, One of the characteristics of being a disciple of mine, then and now, is that you have love for fellow disciples, for fellow believers. He's speaking to the disciples. He again says by this, everyone, not just other believers, but everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Be very clear on this. How you demonstrate your love for Jesus to other fellow believers is going to be seen not only by those fellow believers, it's going to be seen by the world around you. And too often, I see believers in Christ treating other believers in Christ with contempt. Too often, I see people, people um, uh, 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 saying things or doing things to other believers that is reprehensible, that is cruel, that is mean-spirited. I, I'm not bringing, I don't know of anything that's happened recently. I just know that, I just know that that happens. But our world sees enough of the vitriol. The world sees enough of the hatred. The world sees enough of the bitterness. The world sees enough of the anger. And I'll tell you what, when somebody stands up and says, I, I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm going to treat people differently, the world will, will stand up and take notice. Because it's so rare. By this, all people will know that you are my followers, that you are my close disciples. If you have love, agape love, selfless love, giving love for one another. In John chapter 14, to his disciples then and now, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Boy, it's so easy to say, I love you, Jesus. And that's not a bad thing to say. Say it. Tell him. But if you love him, you will do what he calls you to do. Again, change happens when people begin walking with Jesus Christ. Therefore, when people who claim faith in Christ live unchanged lives, great damage can be done. You, you, you think... You think a collective of atheists does damage to the church? No. You think people of a false religion do damage to the church? Not really. But I'll tell you what, you want to see damage to the church, it's somebody who says, I love Jesus, and then live like they don't. That does damage to the church. It's having a... Uh, I think it was, I don't know, it was Monday, Tuesday night. We had, we had wonderful dinners this week. Uh, I was talking with someone, and, and, and uh, they were talking about football. And, well, I just kind of went glassy-eyed because I don't even know anything about it. And they said, you know, this person. And I said, I, I don't, I don't even, I've never heard that person's name. And they're, like, really famous. 
said, yeah, a, a Christian, but they're not really living like it because, and then they went on to say that, you know, this guy's sleeping around with other people. He's not married. He's sleeping around with, with different women. And, 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 I, and my, something in me just wounded because here's somebody that, that claims faith in Christ and yet can lives like they don't. That's bothersome. That does not help the kingdom of God. It damages the kingdom of God. We need to understand that people are watching us. The people are observing our lives. And it's more important now than ever before, I believe, to say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I want my life to reflect it. It doesn't mean that you're going to do it perfectly. You're not. You're going to fail. But to live in that place of repentance and when we fall down, we say, God, I did it again, but I want to live right. And we make those decisions, life decisions. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John chapter 15, Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. You want to be a friend of God? You want to be a friend of Jesus? Do what he tells you to do. So well, that's difficult. Yes, it is. It's supposed to be. It's a part of the, it's the nature of it. It's worth it. But do what he calls you to do. Mark chapter 1 was the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And it was the beginning of the disciples' walk with him. For about a thousand days, roughly three years, a little bit more, these people, 12 of them, walked with Jesus. In those few years, those first disciples observed Jesus in countless settings. They saw how Jesus responded when he was applauded and when he was adored, when he was antagonized and when he was attacked. They observed it all. They saw Jesus, how he responded to the things that came his way. And then later on, when those things came their way, they responded in the same way. Why? Because they had become like him. Remember, I said a disciple, a disciple in that, in that Jewish tradition, that disciple then, the disciples, they emulated, they became like their master. These followers, these first followers of Jesus Christ, they became like him so that when they faced the applause, they responded the way Jesus did. When they received the antagonism, they responded the way Jesus did. After seeing Jesus perform miracles of healing and deliverance and provision in his name and in his power, they went on and they did the same. Why? Because they had become like him. Jesus gave them the authority. He said, everything that, that God has given to me, I now give to you. He even went on to say that you will even do greater things than I have done in my name. Wow. Why? Because they had become like him. Because by the end, they had seen the 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 crucified and the resurrected Christ. And as good disciples, they perpetuated or carried forward the message of Jesus Christ to others. Remember, I said that 
A disciple back then was not simply the recipient, the, re, the repository of, of the, the, the rabbi, the teacher's wisdom, but rather they understood that what they received, they were also to give. Three years later, after that seemingly simple beginning that was actually quite so profound, three years later after Jesus' arrest and his crucifixion and his resurrection, just before his ascension in Matthew chapter 28, it's, in fact, it's just one chapter before Mark chapter 1 because it's at the end of, you're at the beginning of Mark, it's at the end of, of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said this to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, Jesus didn't just, you know, teach you guys, here it is, now, now just, you know, now you're, now you've graduated and it's all good. No, now you go and you do the same. I've shared this before. Um, Every one of us here this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and if you're not, we're going to give you the opportunity here in just a moment. You can become, you can become beginning to be a disciple today. This is, that's really good news for some of you. But for every person who right now is a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the, 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 the most recent link in a chain that goes all the way back to these disciples. You see, these disciples, the Bible tells us, they went on and in different places, they took the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, and they shared it with someone. And then those persons shared it with someone. And then those persons shared it with someone. I don't know how many links there are in that chain, but I'm really glad that it kept going because someone became a disciple and then brought others into it, and they became a disciple, and then they became a disciple. And finally, a number of years ago, somebody shared Jesus with me, and glory to God, now I am a disciple. But I have a responsibility, and you have a responsibility to be the person who then passes it on to the next person. Jesus said, go therefore and make not just converts, make disciples. Teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. So I have some questions for you. I want you, right? Here's some questions. I want to give you something at the end of every one of these messages. These are hard questions, but I want you to ask them of, of, ask them of yourself. Number one, are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple? Have you given your heart to Christ and begun that which takes a moment, but then begun that relationship that lasts the rest of your life and you're growing and you're changing and you're leaving some things behind and you're receiving new things and you're being filled with His Holy Spirit and you're being greatly used of God. Are you a disciple? Second question, has your life changed? Because if your life now is in most regards similar to the way your life was before, there's something desperately wrong. Have you, third question, have you or will you leave something behind to follow him? What have you left behind to follow him? 
And by the way, uh, I've found there are some things that even well into the discipleship process that God says, I want you to leave that behind. I won't tell you what it is, but um, at the end of last year, uh, 2019, God said, I want you not to do this for a whole year. I won't tell you what it is. It's between my wife and I and Jesus. It's like, really, God, do I have to do some? Maybe someday I'll tell you. But, but, but really, that just seems, seems senseless. I have to lay that aside? When I look at over these last number of months, I'm so glad that he did. God said, lay it aside. Leave it. Leave it for a time. Leave it. There are other things that God says to us, just leave it forever. Don't ever go back to that. Just leave it. Certainly the things of a sin nature. We, we just leave it. That's, that's a part of my old life. Some of you are still, still trying to, you're still carrying stuff from your old life, and it needs to be left behind. Jesus can help you with that. Fourth question, are you passing it on to others? Are you passing it on to others? That's what disciples do. They not only be a disciple, they make disciples. They lead others to Christ, and they, they help them become more like Jesus. My friends, you know, we can look at the numbers and the statistics, and we can see and we can acknowledge, yes, it seems like we're in a post-Christian society here in our nation, but I'll tell you what, I, I do not give up hope. I believe some, listen to me, I believe some of the greatest days ahead in our nation and around the world are ahead of us. Glory to God. I believe that Jesus is refining his church. I believe that Jesus is getting us ready for the next big move of God. Hallelujah. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. We're all going to be experiencing uh, all of that. But, but I tell you, I want to be ready. How will we change the world around us? How will we make a difference? By taking seriously the cross of Jesus Christ. And by taking seriously our walk with Christ. This morning I want to pray with you. Now we're going to go into just a, a time, of, a brief time of prayer. It's a very important time. Would you bow your heads with me? This morning I've been talking about discipleship, which is a lifelong process with a very defined beginning. But that beginning is when we surrender our lives to Christ. This morning with no one looking around, I ask you, however, to, if there's someone here today and you've not yet begun that relationship with him, you've not said, Lord, I, 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 want, I, I want to begin following you. If that's you, would you, would you just right now, where you are, uh, do two things. Excuse me, um, raise your hand and catch my eye. Would you do that? Just go ahead and raise your hand. I want to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I, I want to identify you. Is there anyone here that would say, yeah, that's me. I, I want to begin today. I want to begin following him, and I want, in time, yes, I want to be a disciple, and I know that begins today, but I want to surrender my life. Is there anyone here before we go any further? On the main floor, in the balcony. Okay. Now, here's... Here's, I want you to open up your eyes now for just a moment. Now hear me on this, and, and please know that I care for you and I love you. But the fact that no one was here to say, yeah, that's me, 
maybe that means that we need to take that last directive a little bit more seriously and say, there needs to be someone who knows Jesus and they don't know him yet and I want to bring him. This is not the only place where that happens. But I want it to happen here. You're a disciple. You're a follower of the Most High God. I'd like you to stand with me and I want to pray for you. For every one of us here today. Today in this place, God wants to... God wants to do a work in us in such a way that when we leave this place, we are more aware than ever before, I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So would you bow your heads with me one more time as we close? Lord, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters. With no one raising their hands, Lord, I, I believe then that every person here is, at some point surrendered their life to you. And I thank you that now they're fellow disciples. I pray that we would in greater ways take that seriously. And I pray, Jesus, that you would use these disciples, these, your most recent disciples. It started with 12. It now measures in the hundreds of millions, maybe more. I don't know. Only you know the number. But it, it, it numbers now in a number that none of us can count. But Lord, I pray that we... Those of us who are alive today, those who are listening today, in this room, online, Lord, they're listening to this and they're saying, oh Lord, make me a disciple. Help me to take this discipleship very, very seriously. And I'm changing and I'm growing and I'm leaving some things behind and I'm perpetuating the good news of Jesus. I'm carrying it forward to a lost world. Help us, Lord. Help us to make that difference. Thank you. I ask your blessing and your favor now upon my brothers and sisters. May they go in the power of your Holy Spirit. And I thank you. In the name of Jesus, if you believe it, say amen. 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 God bless you. Go in the power and the presence of Jesus Christ.